If you want to permanently reside in Margaritaville, you can actually own a luxury condo, a little home, in select Margaritaville locations. He has a 55 and over community <laughs> that you can wait join. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Leah. Are you saying that you can literally waste away at Margaritaville? Yes, you can. <laughs> Hi, listeners from Van Valen Productions and Yum Day. Welcome to Every Day is a Food Day. I'm your host, Leah Ballantyne. And I'm your other host, Anna Van Balen. Slice some limes and grab a bottle of tequila. Today, we're finally going to find that lost shaker of salt. Because this episode is all about margaritas. We'll learn about National Margarita Day from a puppet. I'll tell you all about the spicy controversy behind the cocktail's competing origin stories, the history of that feat of American ingenuity, the frozen margarita machine, and how you, too, can waste away in Margaritaville. But how did tequila make its way across the border and into our hearts? In the deep dish, we're going to sip on the story of how prohibition led to an agave wave in the Southwest with Mexican tequileros smuggling tequila up through Texas and the rich and famous flocking down to the border town of Tijuana, which earned it the nickname Satan's Playground. Oh, and we'll be drinking margaritas the whole time. The whole time. (laughs) And you should grab one too. Please help us out by leaving a rating and quick review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen. If you'd like to support this women and BIPOC-created independent podcast, head over to our website and click the link that says, buy us a coffee, and it'll help us cover the cost of production. For more great content about the foods and stories we talk about on the show, and to get a sneak peek behind the scenes, connect with us on social media by following at Food Day Pod. Visit our website, yumday.co slash podcast, where you can join our mailing list and enter our monthly giveaway for the chance to win a delicious prize. All these links are in the show notes. Hi, Leah. Hello, Anna. What you got there? Um, a margarita. Oh, yeah? What about you? I've also got a margarita. Wait. Hang on. Should we talk about margaritas today? I think if I have a margarita and you have a margarita, we should probably talk about margaritas. Oh, my God. It's all coming together. (laughs) Look at you. Leah's wearing an adorable top covered in jalapenos. In jalapenos. I was feeling spicy. My margarita's spicy. I made a spicy <gasps> marg. Tell me about your spicy marg. So I actually kind of veered a little off from the traditional margarita recipe. I have a ton of sotol here, mm. which is not tequila. It's a okay. yucca-based alcohol. Ooh, so not an agave-based. Yeah. Interesting. And then I mixed it with, instead of an orange liqueur, I actually have this really cool mixer, jalapeno and blood orange, from a cool Bev brand called Avec. And this is a female Black-owned company. It's really awesome. And they use just all-natural juices and botanicals to make their mixers. So I was feeling very spicy, thus my blouse. I love it. In a cactus margarita glass. Oh my gosh. I have a cactus margarita glass too. Would you look at that? It's almost like we went on Amazon and ordered the same glasses so we'd have matching glasses. I love that we got matching glasses. I know. What do you have? What's what's your margarita recipe? I decided I wanted to go extra tropical mm-hmm. and I went with a pineapple margarita. I love it. So it's got tequila. Tequila. Ooh. I haven't even started drinking this yet. <laughs> Pineapple juice, triple sec, lime juice, and tequila. And I use this beautiful tequila called Casa Dragones. Mmm. That is a good tequila. It's so good. I wanted a fancy tequila and I wanted something that was from a women-owned business. Mm-hmm. This was the top of the list. And also it's called Casa Dragones and has a dragon on it. So sold. Yeah. And you're looking very tropical too. Thank you. 
This is like a resort dress that I got in Columbia. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little bit daunted by all of the clothes in my closet that absolutely do not fit me. But then when I was thinking about margaritas, tropicalness, mm-hmm. I was like, let me try this on. And it is so flowy that I actually fit in it. <laughs> Well, it's a pretty dress. It's beautiful. Thank you. It's fun to wear. All right. Should we try our margs? Yeah. Let's try it. Okay. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm. Damn it. That's good. This is really good. I have a nice salty rim. Mmm. I've got this pineapple kick. Mmm. Don't worry, everyone. No queens were harmed in the making of this pineapple margarita. <laughs> that's a callback. We love Queen, Queen Lily. Lily. Should I just call this the Queen Lily Marg? I think you should. All right. It's the Queen Lily Marg. You the heard Queen it first. Lily. Do you have a favorite margarita memory? Can I talk about it on the podcast? Uh, let's <laughs> hear it and then we'll decide later. Oh, my goodness. Back in my hometown, we had a group of friends and there was a place that we used to go to, a great little Mexican restaurant. And there was just one night we got rowdy. Friends ended up with sombreros. Somebody had a machete. I don't know where it came from. There was a friend who had a birthday and, you know, so we brought out a birthday cake for her. But somehow someone had like a machete at this thing and we chopped the birthday cake up with the machete and we were having so much fun. At one point, there was one person that had a margarita on the other end of the table and I was empty. And I came up with this genius idea to grab all the straws and I built a straw. And it's like, I'm going to just keep attaching the straw ends until it can make it all the way to the other side of the table. And then I need you to put the end in the straw in her margarita so I can sip it. <laughs> Did it work? It didn't really work, but <laughs> I felt like I had, you know, undertaken this feat of engineering. I can just see the margarita, like, you can suck it a little bit and then it's just going to come out come between out. <laughs> each of the straws. Just It's just going to be more like a sprinkler. Yeah. It just... Pssst. Yeah. But that was such a fun night. The parts that I remember. (laughs) Now, what about you? Do you have a margarita story? No. What? (laughs) Wait, how do you not have a margarita story? I know. I have a story for literally everything. Come on, Anna. (laughs) I don't. I really thought hard. Mm. And there were some things that I thought I could embellish enough to be (laughs) interesting stories. But I just didn't feel right. So I I have an alternative I'd like to propose. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. (laughs) Okay. Since this is a a tropical drink Mm -hmm. and we're talking about prohibition and all the illegal activity and like smugglers and gangsters, I do have a gangster story (gasps) that takes place in the tropics. A gangster story? Oh, this might be much better than a margarita story. Will this do? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll let this one slide. <laughs> You'll allow it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, like I said, I'm wearing my tropical dress from Colombia. By the way, everyone, you should absolutely put Colombia on your list to travel to when we're allowed to travel and South America's back on its feet, which is hopefully soon. But, um, and we drank a lot of margaritas. Mm. So we were in a town called Guatape, uh-huh. a couple hours outside Medellin, and there's all these lakes, just like beautiful lakes. And so we were doing this like boat ride with this tour guide. One of the things we passed by on this boat ride was Pablo Escobar's abandoned country <gasps> estate. Oh, like just over to your left. Literally. What? Literally. So there's Pablo Escobar's abandoned country estate. It's called a finca. And it was for his daughter to like grow up, but also hide out in. Uh huh. So it was called the Finca La Manuela. And have you ever heard of Pablo Escobar's hippos? What? No. Okay. First of all, his family never sold it. They still own it, but they don't do anything with it. They didn't tear it down. It's completely abandoned. It is creepy as fuck. It's like this mini castle <gasps> in the middle of nowhere on this the banks of these lakes and there's just signs everywhere that say prohibido (laughs) peligro peligro (laughs) so there's a thing with crazy rich eccentric people and weird animals yeah like william randolph hearst Mm -hmm. right hearst castle or even here in la at the barnsdall art park Park. with aileen Mm -hmm. barnsdall who had a house built by frank lloyd wright and she built Mm -hmm. a little zoo yes for her kid right Pablo Escobar, also being a crazy rich person, filled this finca with animals. And then when he died, his family just let them loose. Whoa. So they're like, the menagerie is just... (laughs) So most of them didn't survive or like find their way out to the jungle. 
but the hippos stayed in the area and the hippo she fucks. <gasps> so it they just kept Oh no. They just kept reproducing. So the area is overrun with Pablo Escobar's hippos. Their poop has destroyed the ecosystem. <gasps> they have like tore up the ozone layer because tore- of the poop gases. <laughs> they killed all the fish. <gasps> in the nearby lakes they go into people's like little farms and gardens and shit and eat their flowers <laughs> they're like they're super dangerous animals and they are huge yeah but here's the thing mm-hmm. the hippos were not the thing that shocked us the most <laughs> about this whole Pablo Escobar Finca situation the rogue hippos weren't weren't that shocking <laughs> they were up there but the moment where we had to like actively pretend not to be horrified <laughs> was you know, so we're going by, we're drinking our margaritas. She's telling us about rogue hippos. And we look at the finca and there's one small building that's like set off from the main house. And it's really pretty. It's got like a Mediterranean vibe. Okay. And then it's got kind of a turret. Oh. And I was like, oh, it's like a widow's walk or something. Mm-hmm. Give me a little Emily Dickinson vibe. <laughs> and then our tour guide goes, and if you look, you see a beautiful white tile building. And inside that building is the sauna, the jacuzzi, and the sniper tower. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. And then she just moves on. She just moves on. I was like, we're not going to talk about the sniper tower? We're not going to talk? Yeah, you can't just stop at sniper tower. Okay. Really glad it's abandoned. (laughs) And it wasn't for the hippos, guys. The sniper tower predated the rogue hippos. Oh, It was such a weird moment. And it's one of those moments where, like, you know, you're in another culture, so you don't want to, like, react. Yeah. So we're just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Cool. Maybe that's a standard thing in Colombian country estates. (laughs) (laughs) No. You've not seen a sniper tower before when you're flipping through HGTV magazine? (laughs) No, I have. It wasn't in Lonely Planet. (laughs) They didn't mention it in the Lonely Planet, Colombia. Fodor's had it. (laughs) (laughs) But later we were like... What a combo, right? The sauna, the jacuzzi, the cyber tower. Is it like you want to be relaxed? You want to get those toxins out when you go off to to snipe? When you go, when you go up to snipe, you want to get into like the right headspace for sniping. You, really you can't just go up there all willy nilly. It's my shift to go to the sniper tower, but I just I gotta sweat it out. <laughs> we really wanted to ask the tour guide. Excuse me, um, can we discuss the sniper tower? Uh, hold on. <laughs> Slow the boat. (laughs) Anyway, we just looked at each other intently, knew we were going to talk about this for a solid hour back at the hotel, and then silently sipped our margaritas out of their plastic cups. (laughs) Oh, that's a margarita you'll never forget. (laughs) This margarita I'm drinking right now is one I'll never forget. Ooh. Should we uh, get started talking margaritas? I guess so. That was a great margarita gangster story. Thank you for allowing it this time. I will come more prepared next time, I promise. Okay, Leah, we've got our margs in hand. Mm-hmm. They've probably hit our bloodstream by now. Yeah, I can feel it. I can feel it. Feel warm and tingly. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling relaxed. I'm so chill. I'm so chill right mm-hmm. now. Ah, so tell us about some uh, margarita holidays and celebrations. There is one margarita celebration, and it's National Margarita Day. Classic. And that day is on February 22nd, which is a little odd because that's a little uh, more of a wintertime thing. And you would think margaritas should be more of a summer celebration. But there is a bit of a reason behind why February 22nd is National Margarita Day. And if you don't want to take my word for it, then maybe you'll take Professor Hans von Puppet's word as to why National Margarita Day is a very important celebration and why it's celebrated in February. Hello, my friends. I'm Professor Hans von Puppet. Did you know National Margarita Day is every year on February 22nd? Millions of people around the world will come together to celebrate and honor this well-known frozen tequila drink. Whether you like it frozen or on the rocks, with salt or with no salt, strawberry, traditional, Cadillac, even mango, help us make this the best margarita day ever. You might be asking, Professor, February 22nd is the middle of winter. Isn't a margarita a summer drink? Au contraire, mi amigo. In the darkness of winter, we need the citrus vitality and joyful fellowship of National Margarita Day all the more. 
So go to nationalmargaritaday.com to find out all about it. And find National Margarita Day on Facebook. Like it, share it with your friends. Get them all together on February 22nd to celebrate National Margarita Day together. Now that is social networking. He also has a YouTube video for National Cupcake Day on December 15th. Mm. And if you're on his YouTube page, you could actually find all kinds of videos. However, he kind of stopped making videos a little bit after the 2016 election Mm. because... He was totally devastated by the results. I felt kind of bad for this puppet. He had a little video that he put out the day after the election to check in to make sure everyone was okay and to let people know that he was going to try to do his best and not kill himself. (laughs) I wish he checked in with me because I was not okay. I know. I was not okay the day after the election. It was dark, dark days. It was very dark. And like all the thousand days that followed. (laughs) I kind of hope that Professor Puppet comes back, though. He had some really cool things that he explained. So should we do a wellness check or something? Is he okay? Yeah. If you're out there, we're thinking of you. Yeah. You got a friend in us, man. You do. Hang in there. But I love that he became this champion for National Margarita Day. And it wasn't the puppet that started National Margarita Day, guys. Just to be clear, this day was created back in 2000 by one of our favorite food holiday creators, Anna. Yes. This guy is Todd McCalla. Todd. (gasps) A wine hero. Yes. He created National Drink Wine Day, which is also celebrated in February. So Todd's given us a few days to drink in the month of February. (laughs) What happened in February? I don't know. I don't know. But, but Todd was looking for ways to, <laughs> to help us all feel good during that time. Todd got dumped on Valentine's Day or something. And he's just like, I am putting my misery on the calendar. <laughs> or like some of his friends were like, Todd, man, you've been drinking a lot. Are you OK? And he was like, well, it's National Margarita. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> oh, Todd. Todd, Todd seems like a cool, nice guy. Todd, we want to be your friend. Come we on do. the show. We do. Todd, call us. Call us, Todd. We have guests now that one time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, when Todd started National Margarita Day, I feel like, just like us, he didn't half-ass it. Mm. He went all out. He launched a website for it. He did the same for Drink Wine Day. And then on the National Margarita Day website, he has recipes. There's links where you can find margarita machines to rent for the day. So he's like got everything taken care of. And because he is a marketing genius, Todd also offers sponsorship opportunities for brands who want to be recognized as official partners of National Margarita Day. Really? Mm-hmm. You can get a special badge to put on your website. So you could be like the, you know, official blank of National Margarita Day. And I am starting to think yeah, that we should be the official podcast of National Margarita Day. Um, Absolutely. Is this our first sponsorship? I think so. Todd, sign us up. <laughs> you know what? I don't care how many downloads we have. I don't care if we make any money. But if we are the official podcast of National Margarita Day, Leah, we have made it. We have. <laughs> we have climbed the mountain. I want to put that badge on the website. We're oh going to have it on God, our Instagram yes. official podcast of National Margarita Day. It's going in every bio. It's going on mm-hmm. our one sheet and press releases. <laughs> I'm changing my LinkedIn profile title. <laughs> Co-creator of the official podcast of National Margarita Day. Recruiters, don't call me. <laughs> so I guess the question is like, what are margaritas? Just real quickly. A margarita is a cocktail consisting of tequila, orange liqueur, and lime juice, often served with salt on the rim of the glass. The drink is served shaken with ice or blended with ice or without ice. So that way, the margarita basically has all of those great elements of taste that we love, the sweet, the salty, the sour, and the bitter. It's pretty simple, but also it provides like that complexity of tastes and flavors in one beautiful glass. It's a great canvas. It is. It is. And there's so many variations on the recipe that we'll talk about and even like what we're drinking. It's Mm -hmm. so cool that we can just be super creative and make margs the way we want to. But where did the margarita come from? And here's the crazy thing. And this seems to be the case with all other popular or iconic foods or drinks. 
there's going to be conflicting origin stories because everybody wants a piece of that action, right? Right. Everyone wants so. the glory. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be fun to kind of go over a few of those origin stories that seem to be the most popular. And then at the end, we'll let you decide what you want to believe. <laughs> yeah, I love that. All right. So this story is about a man named Francisco Pancho Morales. This story about Pancho seems to have pretty strong support because it is backed by Mexico's news agency, Notimex. Ooh, legit. So Pancho was the head bartender at this joint called Tommy's Place in Juarez, Mexico, and he bartended there for more than 20 years. Pancho is credited as the inventor of a drink called the Conga Cooler, which is another tequila-based cocktail that was really popular at Tommy's Place in the 1940s. So he's already known for, like, creating really great cocktails. But Pancho's story, which he shared this one with journalists, is that one day which he remembered it being the 4th of July in 1942, a woman came in and ordered a drink called the Magnolia. Mm. Well, Pancho couldn't remember how to make the Magnolia. So he basically just mixed the orange liqueur and the lime with the tequila. And when he served it to her, the woman was like, um, this isn't a Magnolia, but I still like it. So what is it? And Pancho, he's a slick dude. He was like, Mm. oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you said you wanted a margarita. Silly me. Uh Uh-huh. And she was like, give me another one of them margaritas. (laughs) She said it just like that. (laughs) Yeah, I bet she did. I could hear it in my head. Well, Pancho was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought margarita, which is a flower, just like the magnolia. I was just, I had flowers on my mind. And that's why I made it. Wait a minute. Margarita is a flower, too? Yeah. So margarita is the Spanish word for daisy. Oh. Yes. Okay. Apparently, he recorded that recipe for his margarita on an old bar tab. So there's supposed to be like this written piece of evidence for Pancho's Mm. margarita invention. Now, this is a story of Danny Negrette who was bartending in Tijuana, and he created a special drink as a wedding present for his sister, Margarita Cancino, who grew up to become Hollywood icon Rita Hayworth. Well, well, well. (laughs) Well, you know, as we'll discuss in the deep dish, Tijuana was a playground for Hollywood stars. (gasps) Oh. Mm. So this this could really be... Plausible, plausible. And now this story is about a woman named Margarita Sames, and she was on vacation with her friends in Acapulco in 1948, whipped up a fabulous drink for all of them while they were vacationing together. And one of her friends who was there happened to be a member of the Hilton family, you know, the hotels. Mm -hmm. And apparently he loved the drink so much that he decided to put it on the menu at one of his hotels. And then this drink became the margarita, named after Margarita, the Dallas socialite, who made this recipe for her buddies on vacation. Hmm. I like that one. Simple. It is simple. The Occam's razor of margarita explanations. (laughs) A lady named Margarita made a drink. Yes. The end. Done. But the big issue with this story is that Jose Cuervo had already been running ads three years prior. And this kind of conflicts with the other guys, too. That said, Margarita, it's more than a girl's name. So Mm. Jose Cuervo, the brand, was already suggesting that the Margarita had been invented by a bartender in the late 30s. But this Margarita was in honor of a Mexican showgirl named Rita de la Rosa. Ah, okay. But then it started making me wonder, is this another one of those tequila board, Mm. tequila industry things going on? Okay, so we got a lot of options here. What's your take? You know, I'm starting to think more about the Poncho story. It's not like he just happened to mix this and then it became a thing, but he had already invented another tequila-based cocktail. He seems like more of the mixologist. Yeah, he does. I'm going to say, I feel like it was Poncho. Mm. But who knows? Who knows? Well, here's the thing. It's not the most complicated drink in the world. Right. So many of these could be true. It could be how people discovered the drink Mm -hmm. or in whatever area they were in, it wasn't that popular. And so they could make it and then say they came up with it. It does seem to be mostly in the Southwest Mm -hmm. and Mexico area, which sort of tracks with what I'm going to talk about and, you know, how tequila got introduced into the U.S. Right. But, you know, it could be any of these guys. It could be. I mean, one of the stories, too, is that maybe the margarita was like the glow up 
of another pre-prohibition drink called the Daisy. Margarita is a Spanish term for Daisy. Right. So that could be it too. Yeah, totally. Like Americans sitting in America, maybe they wanted a Daisy, a Margarita during prohibition and they didn't have access to brandy, but they did have access to tequila thanks to them sweet, sweet smugglers. Yeah. And they were like, let's go with this. That's true. But you know, no matter who invented the margarita, there's no doubt that it is one of the most popular cocktails in America. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence to prove this is we got a frozen margarita machine. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's American ingenuity right there. (laughs) Yeah, that is so American. (laughs) So American. We want it cold and low effort. That's right. So this has a really interesting story behind it. The frozen margarita machine was invented in Dallas by a man named Mariano Martinez in 1970. So he had this killer margarita recipe that was passed down from his dad. It was a blended, you know, margarita cocktail. It was icy. And it happened to be bringing a lot of people to his own Mexican restaurant Mm. uh, called Mariano's Mexican Cuisine. The issue was that the demand for his margarita was so high that the bartenders couldn't keep up with all of the orders. I mean, Mm. they were blending the ice in a little blender and one little blender can only do so much at a time. So it was really tough. But one day while Mariano was at a 7-Eleven, he noticed the Slurpee machine and a light bulb went off and he was like, oh my God, what if I could pre-mix everything, put it in a machine, and then the bartenders just pull this little lever and it dispenses the margarita. Mariano was like, I'm buying a soft serve machine and I'm going to figure this out. So he modified it and he tweaked his recipe and he invented the world's first frozen margarita machine. And guys, this invention was so important that in 2005, the Smithsonian acquired the original machine and put it in their collection at the National Museum of American History. What? Uh-huh. Is it like right next door to Julia Child's kitchen? (laughs) Yes. So there's margarine machine and then you see Julia's (laughs) pegboards. That's a callback. But it's so important. It's listed as like one of the top 10 inventions in this collection. Like inventions in America. It's crazy. And on top of, you know, having this machine, like the margarita is so popular that there are landmarks just dedicated to celebrating the margarita. So in Dallas... I'm assuming there's a statue to the inventor of the frozen margarita machine. (gasps) If not, there needs to be one. Hello, tear down some of those fucking Confederate generals. (laughs) We need a statue of Mariano Martinez. I think everyone can get behind that. Yeah. This will unite us, guys. Yes, yes, we're taking down Jefferson Davis, but we're replacing him with the guy who invented the margarita machine. People will get on board. I'm ready to start that change.org petition (laughs) right now. I'm in. If they're going to put that statue somewhere, it has to be in Dallas because that's where Mariano is from. That's where the margarita machine was invented. And Dallas is also the home to the Margarita Mile. So that is a stretch of more than a dozen bars and restaurants with some of the best and most unique margaritas in town. And Anna, I can't wait till you come to Texas to visit me because we're totally going to make a trip down the Margarita Mile together. (laughs) Road trip. Yeah, but maybe we should spend the night in Dallas. (laughs) Oh, yes, for sure. Well, you know, you can like download an app. You can book a trolley to take you to all of these spots. You can earn rewards while visiting all of these bars and restaurants. You are speaking my language. I'm all about those, like, rewards points. (laughs) Scan the app. It's like a little passport. You know I'm a sucker for that shit. I know you got your National Parks one. I got my National Parks one. For a while, I had an L.A. uh, bar passport. (gasps) What? Yeah. You go to different bars. You show your passport. You got, like, whatever drink special that was in there. And then they stamp stamp your passport. Oh, my God. I'm a collector. Okay, so you definitely need to come to Dallas and get the Margarita Mile app so you can get it all stamped and earn your rewards. <laughs> Except I might die because I'm going to be like, no, Leah, I need one more stamp. I can't have nine out of ten stamps. Leah, we're doing it. <laughs> I think they'll let you do it over however many days you need. So we don't. Have, right. you don't have to push we'll yourself three day, day one. <laughs> Unless you do get a prize for finishing the most margaritas in a day because... If that's the case, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Day one. But we're going we're gonna to carbo load, so we'll have our stack of pancakes, the maple mm-hmm. syrup, have some margaritas, oh. fill up on mashed potatoes. We can layer it. Yeah. Mashed potatoes and margaritas. That sounds like a wonderful day. <laughs> Mashies and margs. Uh-huh. Ooh. <gasps> 
That sounds like a t-shirt. Yeah, that's the new Rosé and Slay. <laughs> Mashies and Margs. Mashies and Margs. Trademark. <laughs> that's going to be the first t-shirt in our uh, merch store. Yes. <laughs> it's our special collection. Pre-order yours today, listeners. But you know, if you're someone who really loves margaritas, then there's no better place for Mark Glover than Margaritaville. <laughs> Take me away. <laughs> you know, Margaritaville is a feeling, not so much a place. It's a place deep inside. But you know, it is like an actual place now, which is what is so crazy to me. Jimmy Buffett has built this insane empire around Margaritaville. I thought at first it was just like the merch and restaurants. Yeah. But there are actual resorts for Margaritaville. What? Yeah. And not only like vacation club type things. If you want to permanently reside in Margaritaville, you can actually own a luxury condo, a little home in select Margaritaville locations. He has a 55 and over community (laughs) that you can join. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Leah. Are you saying that you can literally waste away at Margaritaville? Yes, you can. (laughs) Wasting away again in Margaritaville. Searching for my lost shaker of salt. (laughs) Your shaker of salt is lost no more. Salt, salt, salt. Leah, I know we're millennials, so we'll never get to retire, but I think this is, I'm going to call my money guys and be like, I have new dates for my 401k. Yes. I've got some new goals that I've set (laughs) on his website, which is quite robust. You can dive into like the different communities that are available, like what you can own, own a piece of Margaritaville. There are tips for visiting, where to travel. I mean, he's got these all over. And if you're a college student, Margaritaville has a college ambassador program. What? Yeah. Can you imagine having your internship at Margaritaville? I just imagine the like retirement community needs college ambassadors to like come teach them how to use their iPads. <laughs> how do I get this to print? <laughs> oh, God. You know, I guarantee you Margaritaville is full of. What? Upside down pineapples. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everywhere you turn. Every porch light. Upside down pineapples. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. But how the heck did we get from being this, you know, like, really interesting cocktail that was made maybe in the 30s all the way to Margaritaville? Hey, man, it's more complicated than that. You think about your bathtub gin? This is some (laughs) smuggled tequila in tunnels (laughs) under San Diego. It was a long road from tunnels under San Diego all the way to Margaritaville. (laughs) And when we come back to the deep dish, I'm going to tell you all about it. Yes, some people claim that there's a woman to blame. And I know it's my own damn fault. All right, Leah, how's, uh, how's your picture doing? Um, It's doing well. Yes, yeah. listeners, I did bring a picture in the closet. I mean, in the studio with me today. So it just makes refill so much easier. <laughs> she did. She's the smart one. Because I was like, okay, I'm going to go down and pour and mix my margarita. And she's like, oh, mine's right here. <laughs> but you're making two different types. I did make two different types. So the last one was a pineapple margarita. And mm-hmm. this one is similar to yours, a spicy cucumber margarita. Let's see if I did it right. I did, full disclosure, dump a fair amount onto my beautiful tropical dress. So, (laughs) you know, now I have sort of an ode. Ode de Marg. Ode Marg. Mashies and Margs. Telling you, mashies and Margs. All right. (gasps) Cheers. Cheers. The color is gorgeous. It's very green and beautiful. Super vibrant. (laughs) (laughs) How does it taste, Anna? I think I need to throw in like some Splenda. Oh, man. I didn't think I did a good job muddling those jalapenos, but they are in there. I'm actually going to fish one out. <laughs> it's not quite sweet enough. Uh, I put simple syrup instead of agave. Okay. I don't know. Is agave sweeter? I don't know. Depends. I'm still going to drink it. 
<laughs> no question. You're drinking it. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be super sweet because it's cucumber and mm-hmm. jalapeno, but that cuts it a little bit. I am sticky with margaritas. <laughs> sticky. <laughs> so when we were talking about doing margaritas and we were like, yay, Margaritaville, buckets of margaritas. Mm-hmm. It's America's favorite drink. I was kind of like, has it always been America's favorite drink? Where did this come from? And I sort of went on a reverse rabbit hole. Uh-huh. And I noticed that a lot of these stories, the origin stories possibly of the margarita, happened in like the 20s, the 30s, yeah. in like Prohibition era. And then I kept hearing these mentions of during Prohibition, tequila mm-hmm. coming into America. And I was like, wait a minute. Because look, I took AP American history. I know about the Volstead Act. Okay. Right. I'm aware of Prohibition. <laughs> The 18th Amendment, the only amendment to be repealed by another amendment, the 21st Amendment. Yeah, I got a five on that test. A five! I was going to say, I got a five. But I didn't, you know, like Al Capone and Chicago and like always heard these stories of smuggling whiskey in through Canada or like on the ships, bathtub, gin, all that stuff. But I mm-hmm. never heard anything about tequila. So what is the link really between margaritas, tequila... And Prohibition. I'm going to give you a bit of a background of Prohibition. I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite icons who I am obsessed with. We're going to talk about tequila's role in Prohibition and especially the city of Tijuana. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, kind of the fallout from Prohibition. It didn't, didn't go so well. <laughs> Was not the noble experiment <laughs> that they wanted it to be. So let's all like channel our AP American study sesh. Oh, yeah. And come with me. The movement to ban or limit alcohol in the U.S. had been around since like the early 1800s, right? And Mm -hmm. so by the time we get to the 19 teens, 33 states already had some kind of prohibition laws on the books. Mm. There are a lot of reasons why people wanted to ban alcohol. For one, a wave of evangelical Protestants saw it as ungodly. Mm -hmm. They were also trying to legislate other, quote, moral behavior like gambling and boxing and public dancing. That's right. Yeah. So there's a great documentary about this called Footloose. (laughs) I've seen that doc. You guys should all check that out. Uh Uh-huh. It's pretty insane. Everybody's got to get loose. You see what these kids do. Another one was good old capitalism. Hmm. Factory owners wanted employees to drink less so they'd have fewer accidents, be more efficient, and be able to work longer hours. But one of the most powerful drivers were groups of women's rights activists, and especially one called the Women's Christian Temperance Union. And their reasoning was that women were totally dependent on men. Mm. Women had no rights and no independence, which meant that if their male family members were alcoholics, couldn't hold down jobs, spent all the family's money on alcohol, abandoned them, or were violent, the women and children in the families were completely at their mercy. Right. Totally helpless. And women couldn't vote. They couldn't run for office. So they had no direct say in policy. Mm -hmm. So again, if you just let women control their own lives... (laughs) We wouldn't have to ban alcohol or poison you. Right. (laughs) That's a callback. One of the superstars of the temperance movement was a woman named Carrie A. Nation. (laughs) What? Yes. Yes. Her name is Carrie A. Nation. Hmm. She is iconic. I am obsessed with her. All right. (laughs) I can't wait to tell you about her. Okay. I first heard about her, actually, because she was one of the people who inspired another iconic woman we love, Ruth Desmond. (gasps) The peanut butter grandma? Yes. What? Peanut butter grandma. Yeah. In my research for the peanut butter episode, I found out that Carrie was one of Ruth's heroes and really inspired her consumer rights activism as a way to protect families. That's amazing. Yeah. Huh. However, Uh Carrie's style was a little different. She didn't have a, a trial mink that she wore? Oh, no. Her costume was much better. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about Carrie A Nation. And you might say to yourself, 
did Anna low-key shoehorn in this Prohibition storyline so that she could just talk about this woman? <laughs> and the answer is ish. Ish, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear all about Carrie A Nation. It'll be worth it. Carrie A Nation was born in... I mean, is she or is she not a RuPaul's Drag Race? I, I know! With a that name like name. that. name! Oh my god! But wait till you hear about her drag. Okay. okay. <laughs> she was born in 1846 in Kentucky. She married a young doctor and she suffered from the things that the temperance movement was all about. He was an alcoholic. Mm. She finally left him because he couldn't function. He couldn't hold down a job. And he drank himself to death just a few months after their daughter was born. What? So in 1874, she moved to Kansas and she opened up a chapter there of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Okay. She got remarried to a preacher. And then that really became her focus, prohibition and temperance. But around this time, she got the spirit. Oh. The spirit moved her. Whoa. She was speaking in tongues. She started having visions. She was going full Joan of Arc here. She started to believe that she was on a mission from God to end the evil of alcohol on earth. Wow. So she'd been running her chapter of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, but she was getting really tired and frustrated at what she considered to be indirect action. Mm -hmm. Petitions, marches, talking to politicians, and then waiting mm. you know mm -hmm. like come on she's on a mission from god <laughs> like this is serious yeah. this is not like a change.org situation right that's not what the spirit <laughs> came to her right <laughs> exactly so she decided to start taking what she called direct action to stop the consumption of alcohol and oh leah it was direct <laughs> how do you mean <laughs> <laughs> And why am I scared? <laughs> so in 1900, she went into the Cary Hotel Bar in Wichita, Kansas. Mm -hmm. This woman is six feet tall. Oh, wow. She is dressed head to toe in black, black veil, black hat. Like she's serving Queen Victoria in mourning realness. Like Prince Albert's body is barely cold. Oh, my God. She goes in holding a Bible in one hand mm -hmm. and a hatchet. In the other. What? And she proceeds to smash all the bottles of alcohol and chop up the bar, the stools, the chairs, the tables with patrons and people working in this bar, all the while screaming verses from the Bible in her other hand. <laughs> uh, Carrie. Isn't that incredible? So she, she just showed up. Yeah. And was like, mission from God. Mission from mission God. Mission from God. Can you imagine? It's 1900. You're just sitting there in your saloon. And a six foot tall woman in all black. <laughs> she is like Mish Havisham, but reverse. <laughs> She's like. That's horrifying. Like, I I don't even know if I could move if I was like. I know. But also like kind of respect. She's really going for it. <laughs> she is. Took this mission seriously. So she got arrested. <laughs> But she also became instantly famous. Oh, yeah. Obvs. <laughs> and she kind of found her calling. Carrie had done a ton of speaking engagements on temperance up until now. And so she decided to make that her career. Okay. She, I love this, trademarked her name, Carrie A Nation, because she knew how fucking <laughs> iconic it was. She divorced her preacher husband so that she would have more freedom to go on her speaking engagements. Whoa. While she was on these speaking engagements, she'd find the bars or the speakeasies, the underground bars. She would show up like in her full vengeful angel of death garb and chop <laughs> that shit up. Oh, my goodness. She was arrested many times <laughs> for disturbing the peace, property destruction, mm -hmm. uh, disorderly conduct. And Leah, do you know uh -huh. how she paid her fines and bail? No, I... I can't even imagine. How did she do that? She sold merch. She had merch. <laughs> she was like, she had her whole business planned out. She was an influencer before there were influencers, okay? She was. 
she sold souvenir hatchets. I was going to say, is it a branded yes, hatchet? Yes, like branded <laughs> hatchets, souvenir hatchets. Also like little stove axes for chopping up wood because everybody was rocking the wood burning stove. Yeah. And hatchet jewelry, like hatchet brooches, like a, like a pewter hatchet what? brooch or pins and shit. <gasps> Where do we get some? <laughs> Lou found some on eBay. Did he? <laughs> Seriously, they like have her profile on it. Oh my god! Okay, yeah, you gotta. We'll, we'll put a picture <laughs> up online because this is too crazy. Unfortunately, she died in 1911 before <gasps> prohibition went into effect. Oh, but you can't say that she did not put it on the map. <laughs> I love this quote I found about her as from a scholar at Virginia Commonwealth University. It said, Nation wielded her voice as effectively as her hatchet, eloquently speaking her mind and inspiring others on numerous occasions. Even sworn enemies acknowledged her success with compelling enforcement of prohibition laws and spreading her message. Wow. I mean, when your enemies are praising you. Also, who are her sworn enemies? Yeah. <laughs> Is it just like bar stools? <laughs> It's the high tops. High tops hated her. <laughs> I love this story. I am glad that Ruth didn't take this too literally and like show up at the FDA trials right. with hatchets. <laughs> I'm glad she just went with the trial mink. Yeah, the mink. That was good. <laughs> Can you see her just like going at the CEO of Jif? This is not peanut butter. <laughs> is this Crisco? Crisco! Now you're going to put me right back in the joint. They're not going to catch us. We're on a mission from God. Another thing leading up to Prohibition was the Spanish flu, <gasps> a.k.a. Whoa. The last pandemic. <laughs> that pandemic. That's crazy. But yes, you're yeah. totally right. That was when <laughs> the Spanish flu happened. They're totally linked. Mm -hmm. Because when the Spanish flu started in 1918, people were scared. They were freaking out. Mm -hmm. Don't know if you can relate. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. But they were desperate. And in the same way that we were like, I don't know, Cloroxing our groceries, they turned to whatever remedy they could think of. And that was one whose medicinal value was unproven, but it was something trusted and familiar. And that was alcohol. Oh. Except there were two problems uh -huh. with these people who in a pandemic wanted alcohol. Leah, how many bars have you been to in the last year? Um, let me see. Uh, none. None, right? So they couldn't go to the bar, saloon, whatever. And also, like I said, more than half the states already had prohibition laws by then. Oh. So in 33 states, you couldn't go to the bar and you couldn't buy booze at the store. <gasps> no. So what was the... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in that world. Take me Spanish flu. So how do they get around this? Prescriptions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, steal the doctor's notepad and just write, <laughs> write them to yourself. Medical alcohol prescriptions. Doctors were literally handing out scripts for whiskey to get around these laws. And like, you know, I bought my whiskey at Rite Aid sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Like, I can see that. <laughs> that is so crazy. Yeah. And even though the AMA, the American Medical Association, for years had been trying to tell people that there was no medicinal value in whiskey... In 1919, I don't know why, maybe to like calm people down or because they didn't have any other good ideas, the AMA endorsed whiskey as an effective treatment for dozens of ailments. But, you know, they'd also like endorsed opium and cocaine. So the AMA knew how to party back in the day. I just want to know what that prescription looked like. Was it like, yeah. take three shots of Makers and call me in the morning? Yeah. Are there like doses? That they right. would write down. I mean, I guess if the point of a medicine is to make you feel better, mm -hmm. it works. They'll do it. Mm -hmm. But now everybody's drinking more than ever. <laughs> Doctor's orders. <laughs> so this really heated up the fight against alcohol, the fight for prohibition. And now we get to the Volstead Act, which was passed at the end of 1919, and that put the 18th Amendment into effect. So starting in 1920, and that amendment banned the manufacture, sale, and distribution of intoxicating liquors. <sighs> Is anything missing from that list? 
Manufacture, sale, distribution. Um, Drinking? Oh, the drinking part. So drinking alcohol was not outlawed, which meant there was a market, baby. Mm. But all of these closings created a huge vacuum, which was filled with crime. (laughs) Because, you know, law-abiding manufacturers Mm -hmm. and venue owners were now criminals. Right. They're the bad guys. Right? Now they're the bad guys just because a law changed. Mm -hmm. So this led to a surge in organized crime and gang violence, as we mentioned. Al Capone was making $60 million annually during Prohibition just from bootleg operations. $60 million? Yeah, in 1920s money. Oh, my God. I mean, I take it in 2020s yeah. money, but still. <laughs> That's insane. So, again, we've heard about the whiskey coming through Canada, the smuggling, the moonshine, the bootlegging. But in California and the Southwest, they had another neighbor source of booze, and that was Mexico. Mm. Whose primary export was tequila. So Prohibition literally brought tequila, and therefore the margarita, into the United States. That is amazing. Cheers to Prohibition. Cheers. In the 1920s, the Mexico-U.S. border was very porous. There was no checkpoints. No one was watching this. It was mostly wilderness. No one had built a wall. (laughs) So the first thing I want to talk about is the tequileros in Texas. The tequileros were a group of Mexican tequila smugglers who operated through rural South Texas using back trails, brush, and wilderness, and low water crossings along the Rio Grande. Mm. They rode horses and led mules or donkeys who could carry up to 50 bottles each of tequila. Wow. And I've seen pictures. They had some very interesting sort of apparatus <laughs> That they would just like harness onto the donkey. Yeah, it was like imagine a donkey in a trench coat covered in tequila. That's basically what this was. <laughs> Nothing to see here, guys. There's <laughs> <laughs> actually three donkeys stacked on top They're of each other. They were all stacked together. <laughs> They were pursued by the Texas Rangers and the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, and they kind of gained a rep as outlaws. Okay. Also, apparently, mules are geniuses because they would learn these smuggling routes so that they could do them without a human leading them. So at night, they'd go by themselves through the wilderness to the other side of the border, which got them past the cops because the cops were looking for people. Yeah. They were looking for some random mule in the desert. I didn't know mules were that smart. Right? Hmm. We have underestimated mules. So the tequileros became kind of low-key heroes Mm -hmm. because they, A, outsmarted these cops, and B, they defied a law that everyone hated. But their clashes with law enforcement were frequently violent, Mm. which led to business drying up around 1928, so five years before Prohibition ended, but they're still kind of legends, Mm -hmm. the tequileros. And the other area I want to talk about is Tijuana. Ah, TJ. (laughs) TJ, which during Prohibition earned the nickname Satan's Playground. What? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So Tijuana is in Baja, California. It borders California to the north and the Pacific Ocean to the west. So it's basically like the northwest corner of Mexico. And Mm -hmm. it's only 20 miles from San Diego. Yeah. And 140 miles from Los Angeles. So it's like right there. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, the borders were kind of imaginary at this point. Yeah. So Tijuana was a perfect home base for smugglers and for Americans looking for a good time. (laughs) So some people actually call Prohibition the golden age of Tijuana. Uh. And for a long time, TJ had a role as an escape for Americans. Here is San Diego State University Professor Emeritus Paul Vanderwood, author of the book Satan's Playground, Mobsters and movie stars at America's greatest gaming resort. Tijuana had uh, always been a place where um, people from Southern California and other parts of the United States and visitors to the area and so forth went for various kinds of um, events. They had bullfighting down there, for instance, which was prohibited in the United States. They had bare knuckle boxing, which was prohibited in the uh, in the United States, and so. When these reforms occurred in the United States and people were prohibited from going to horse races and from dancing and drinking and that sort of thing, it was really quite natural that 
uh, entrepreneurs would go south of the border. Many of them, these entrepreneurs were American, working, importantly to notice, working with Mexican officialdom to establish places where these Americans who wanted to live the high life could have a good time. Tijuana was so notorious that, according to Professor Vanderwood, preachers put up signs along the road from San Diego warning people that they were headed for Satan's playground and that if they continued, they'd end up at the real Satan's playground. They mean hell. Do you think that really like made people turn back or they're like, oh, awesome, I'm getting closer. Do you think it deterred people that they were like, no, 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 I'm not going to Satan's playground. I'm going to Tijuana. Is this the road to Tijuana? (laughs) I don't see this on the map. Damn it, Apple Maps. (laughs) One of the most famous places built just for this purpose was the Agua Caliente Casino Resort and Spa, which was built in 1928. And it was a haven for Hollywood movie stars. You know, the Hollywood elite. Mm Kind of like us. Yeah. (laughs) It mimicked resorts in Europe and the Mediterranean. In 1929, the LA Times said, quote, its only rival in the world is Monte Carlo. (gasps) Wow. My, my. (laughs) It featured an Olympic-sized pool, Turkish baths, steam caves, a horse racing track, 500 hotel rooms with tortoiseshell toilet seats, and an airstrip. Okay, I missed the memo on everyone having an airstrip, okay? (laughs) Like the Rajneeshis, these fuckers. Like, I was just excited to get my own washer dryer. And apparently, like, I'm dreaming too small. Airstrip. Airstrip. Anna, dream bigger. Putting that on my vision board. (laughs) They were famous for their cocktails, including the OG Margarita, the Daisy. Mm. And, of course, many concoctions using tequila. And once people really heard that this place was rolling, lots of small-time mobsters came down to Tijuana. So, like, the C and D list mobsters from, (laughs) you know, Chicago and New York, they thought they'd be more successful in a smaller market. So the smuggler community, let's just say, started to ramp up here. And lots of rumors about the most famous prohibition mobster, Mr. Al Capone, in Tijuana, including that he was a frequent guest at the Agua Caliente. Hmm. Now, there's nothing really concrete because mobsters don't usually sign the guest book. Right. But a woman who worked at the coat check at Agua Caliente claims that Al Capone stayed there and he checked his beaver skin hat with her. (laughs) However, later, a whole bunch of cops showed up and surrounded the place. But Al Capone came back, retrieved his beaver skin cap, and tipped her 50 bucks. Wow. In 1928, you could buy a house with 50 bucks. That was nothing for Al Capone. He's raking in 60 mil right? a year. He probably made that back in a half hour. It's like Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but oh. now when your wife takes half of it, oh. <laughs> She's earned it. Oof. Yeah. But another rumor about the Agua Caliente was that the underground tunnels that it used for their, you know, like water, HVAC, sewage systems Mm -hmm. were actually entry points to secret passages that smugglers used to move tequila from Tijuana. What? Into San Diego. Yeah. It was easier on the mules that way. (laughs) Give them a break. No rough terrain. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think they got in those, you know, those little like carts they have in the mines? <laughs> they did and just wheeled themselves down. <laughs> they loved it. They had a great time. Mm-hmm. Wee! <laughs> so the Agua Caliente served its last margarita in 1938 when it closed its doors because people didn't need to go down there for booze anymore because it was 1938 and Prohibition ended. They don't have to go to Satan's playground anymore. Right? Why take the risk? Yeah. But the location was bought by an eccentric former mayor of Tijuana about 20 years ago, and he reopened it in 2008 as a weird-ass zoo. Wait, what? Yes. This is another eccentric, rich weirdo who collects animals animals and took a regular-ass property and filled it with animals. (laughs) It's like if Tiger King was actually a king. Like, that's what's disturbing to me about this. Like, Tiger King with money. How do you get to be, like, that level of rich, eccentric... And then have a zoo. Yeah, because it's not just rich, right? Like, you have to yeah. be rich, eccentric. There's a third thing. 
I was reaching for it. I was yeah. reaching for the third thing. I couldn't find it. Detached from reality. That could be it. There is like this mysterious third There's... thing that when that, when the, the trifecta. Like Tilda Swinton is rich and eccentric. Yeah. But she doesn't have the third thing. I don't think she's thing. got like fucking lemurs in her attic. All right. I don't know though. You know what? Fact she check probably me. does. Fact check me on that. <laughs> Despite early declines in alcohol consumption and arrests for drunkenness, prohibition did not turn out to be the magical cure all for society's ailments. In fact, <laughs> it was pretty much a huge disaster. <laughs> Wait, you're saying it didn't work and it no, didn't, it didn't stop work. people? <laughs> it didn't stop people. The bootleg liquor everyone turned to, it was. Poor quality and not safe. Mm. So during Prohibition, a thousand people died every year from tainted liquor. <gasps> no. Yeah, nobody's checking it. We're mm. making it shit in the bathtub. Right. <laughs> it was also terrible for the economy because breweries, distilleries, wineries, saloons, taverns, they all closed. And it turns out they do a lot of business and provide a lot of jobs. Yep. As we also learned in the last year. Yes. Theaters and entertainment venues. Sales declined. And remember, that's where they make their money, their concessions. Yeah. Restaurants couldn't make enough money to stay open without alcohol sales. Mm -hmm. The government lost huge revenue because they weren't taking excise taxes off <sighs> alcohol anymore. And it uh -huh. was super costly to enforce. Yeah. Also, they put the IRS in charge of enforcing the law. Guys. <laughs> Like, I still haven't gotten my refund. So I don't trust those clowns to enforce anything. Okay? Your federal turn's been accepted. Yeah? Show me. Prove it. Mm -hmm. That's a personal problem. <laughs> and again, crime skyrocketed. New mobs, new gangs, but also all these people who before Prohibition had totally legit businesses were forced underground. That's so horrible. They were just doing the right thing, following the law, and then one change... Right. Turns them into the enemy. Right. And you know what could have solved all of this? Let women fucking open their own <laughs> bank accounts and vote. So FDR pledged to end prohibition as part of his 1932 presidential platform. He won and made good on that promise and passed mm -hmm. the 21st Amendment, which repealed the 18th. But by then, tequila had already <laughs> taken hold in America, mm -hmm. and people were coming up with some very interesting tequila, cointreau, lime juice combinations that we now know as America's favorite cocktail, the margarita. Mm, delicioso. Mm -mm. <laughs> but just as some states had passed prohibition laws before the 18th Amendment. Some had laws after the 21st Amendment. Mm. And do you know when those alcohol restriction laws became a real problem? No. When? Last year, during <gasps> the 2020 pandemic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. Yes. <laughs> All these laws that we had that said like, you can only drink liquor in bars and restaurants, or you can't buy, you know, at a certain grocery store. You can't, all these restrictions, right? You can't do right. deliveries. Now, all of a sudden when you're restricting everybody's mobility and everybody's available actions, now you get a problem. So mm -hmm. for example, Pennsylvania liquor regulators shuttered the state's network of government run liquor stores. Even though those are the only stores where you can buy distilled spirits in the state. And did people stop drinking, Leah? Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> what did they do instead? They got in their cars in a yeah. pandemic and they drove. They went to another state. <laughs> to the neighboring states, right? So Pennsylvania residents just went to bordering states like New Jersey, Ohio, and West Virginia to buy booze there. So now we've got people in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> traveling across state lines, crowding into these little ass <sighs> liquor stores, then going back home. And they actually traced this policy to outbreaks in border <gasps> towns. Oh, my gosh. Lots of other states had to look at laws that made, you know, liquor only available at bars and restaurants, which they then shut down. Mm -hmm. And especially restrictions on delivery of alcohol. Yeah. Because it was like, look, man, if somebody can get their prescription for Percocet and their AR-15 in the mail, like, why can't they get a bucket of margaritas? <laughs> right. I'm not asking for much. So now we can all get booze to our doors, including our margaritas. Shout out to Minibar, which is what <laughs> I use for my delivery service. Drizzly. 
Hey, oh. <laughs> Drizzly, call us. <laughs> and that is the story of Prohibition and the Margarita. That is amazing. That is so crazy, though, the parallel between Spanish flu, Prohibition. Right. It's all connected. The pandemic now, the way yeah. we're approaching drinking. It's crazy. And we definitely were not going to stop drinking during this pandemic, as we have discussed. <laughs> no, we, we figured out a way. We, people were working really hard to find a way to make sure we could all drink. We were dedicated. We were better together. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure at least 5% of my COVID weight is margarita. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of Every Day is a Food Day. The clips and music you heard today were Tijuana Lady by Gomez, Tequila by The Champs, Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett, The Blues Brothers from Universal Pictures, KPBS Public Radio, and Professor Puppet on YouTube. Take care of yourself, Professor Puppet. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Check out the links in our show notes and connect with us on social media at Food Day Pod. Every Day is a Food Day is a production of Van Valen LLC and Yum Day. It is produced and hosted by us, Leah Ballantyne and Anna Van Valen. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>